This is Brian Billick, and I'm joined by my partner, Jim Moore. And welcome to the Coach's Show podcast presented by Bud Light. It's the sure sign of a good time. Here we go. 60 seconds to go in the half. First down, Denver. The ball at the 18-yard line of San Diego. 10-0 San Diego. Tebow again to the gun. Trips left. Tim takes the fakes, bubble screen, throws to Decker in the end zone, and Decker's got a Denver touchdown. They fake the bubble screen on the left side, and then Tebow threw a laser to Decker into the end zone, and just like that, with 55 seconds to go in the half, the Broncos strike. It's now 10-6 San Diego. Dante Hughes beaten on the play. Well, uh, Jim, I got to tell you, I was in Atlanta. I had the Minnesota-Atlanta game, and I had some time before my flight, and I got to the airport. And it was amazing to watch. Obviously, Denver Broncos, Tim Tebow, they're playing the San Diego Chargers. That entire, every bar, every TV, everybody was watching that game. It was amazing to see the way people have got swept up with what's going on with Denver and Tim Tebow right now. Yeah, well, it's the Tebow mania is in full effect across this country. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's tough for me to talk about without – you know, uh, giving credit to the defense that Denver's playing, and and uh, you know I, I love what Tim Tebow's doing, and uh, he's five and one as a starter. He's had comeback wins in three of his games in the fourth quarter, uh, but I just think that uh, what's what's missing here is some talk about how well they're playing on defense. And you know, Von Miller to me will be should be the defensive rookie of the year in the NFL. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's fun. I guess Brian, what it is, is it's fun to watch him, and it's fun to see what's going to happen next. And it's fun to see that offense uh, kind of uh, morph into something that we really haven't seen in the NFL in a long time. And that's what makes it so fun. That's what jumped out at me because you know, there's, we've talked about it for a couple of weeks now. There's two issues here. There's no denying. That this is fun, it's exciting, they're winning the formula, and it's tried and true in this league. Run the ball well, and obviously he does that well, and he augments what, you know, Willis McGay, he had a heck of a game as well. Uh, they're playing great defense. And we've said it before if you're going to go with the formula, play good defense, run the ball, in today's game, you really have to play great defense right. and run the ball. And they're playing great defense right now. You're exactly right. With the ability to bring Doomerville and Miller off the edge, you got Champ Bailey on the backside. We'll see how this plays out because their schedule lends itself. I think they have a real chance now to make the playoffs. But it still goes back to the other issue. Where does that leave them with Tim Tebow, with that organization going forward and the decisions they have to make? Two separate conversations. Uh, and that doesn't mean you don't get excited right now. I, I really think, you know, and, and we're even put aside those that for whatever reason are put off by Tim Tebow and his commitment to his religion. And some people obviously don't care for that. And he wears it on his shoulder and like, well, let's hold that at arm's length. I think to a large degree, it's people, it's, it's the status quo. It's Occupy Denver, okay? Mm-hmm. It's, okay, you experts that think you know what it is to play in the NFL and you keep telling us that this can't win in the NFL and you can't wait right. to win a championship. It's money ball. You're wrong. Well, right now they're right and we are wrong. That's exactly because right. Because he's 5 and 1, but I think, you know, a lot remains to be seen as to how far they can actually go with this this year. And then, like you said, Brian, do they decide that this is the way they want to go in the future? Uh, because certainly if they're going to make Tim Tebow their quarterback for the long term, then they have to make a commitment to really changing 
the personnel of their offensive football team. Uh, and you and I were talking before the podcast about you know going to smaller receivers and more agile and athletic linemen, and uh, and finding backup quarterbacks that fit into the same category as Tim Tebow does. And that is a real commitment that they would have to make because they would be going against conventional wisdom, you know, all the way around, completely throughout their offensive football team. And I, I guess my question is, is, you know, we, we've seen John, John Elway, who is a Hall of Fame quarterback and obviously is a very smart guy, very successful, understands what it takes to win championships in this league because he's done it. And I don't know that he has shown a real excitement for the way they're playing offensive football right now. And whether or not he's going to be able to make that commitment to going against what he believes is the right way to play offensive football in the league and win big, you know, that, that, that'll be really tough on a guy like John Elway. We've been down this road before in this league with things like the run and shoot, mm-hmm. which was the way for a while. When yep. you had uh, Back when Houston was doing it with Warren Moon and Detroit was doing it for a while. Right. And, and there's some element of it that is, okay, it's different. It's exciting, but like so many of those things, at the end of the day, it can't win for you ultimately. And even if it's exciting and fun, unless it wins a championship, at some point people will wear out on it. And let's talk about the commitment of the organization to do it, that if it is, it's not just – I think people make the mistake to think, well, of course, just keep Tim Tebow as your quarterback. To just keep him is not enough. All the things you talk about – now there are those that will say, you know what, I used the money ball reference – why not build it that way? Let's put all of our money on defense. We've got mm-hmm. a good dominant defense. I'm going to be the devil's advocate here and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. If we want to buy in as an organization, we're going to put all our money in on defense. All the guys we talked about offensively, I can get a bunch of smallish receivers and right. small offensive linemen that, that most NFL teams look at and say, he can't play in the NFL. And I better get a couple, not maybe not Tim Tebow's, but I better get a couple athletic quarterbacks can run this because I'm going to run out of quarterbacks now. Uh, and at some point during the season on a 16-game regular season, four preseason games, hopefully into the playoffs. and But I can do that on the cheap offensively. But it is a total commitment of the organization to something that you just don't know can win. Right. It, 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 I love your analogy and your comparison to the run and shoot, and I think that is uh, really accurate. And I think people have probably forgot about the run and shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a fad. It uh, it got teams to a certain point, but teams couldn't win a championship with that, and it did force you to change the personnel and the personality of your football team. You know, you, you didn't have a tight end on the roster. You didn't have a fullback on the roster. You had to change the way your defense practiced because they didn't have right. those types of guys to practice against all through training camp, OTAs, uh, into the season. And it did take a, an organizational commitment to go in that direction. And it produced some really exciting football and it produced some really good players but it did not produce a championship uh you know i I guess the thing that's interesting about this is we always talk about the formula for winning in the nfl is run the football and play good defense and they're doing that but you know there is another part to that and that you know you know this better than anybody you have to be able to score points and in order to score a lot of points in this league you have to be able to throw the ball with some efficiency and uh you know, I don't know that Tim, to this point, has shown a real improvement as a passer, and I don't know that he will. I mean, you know, there's no doubt the guy's a winner, that's for sure, but just how many games can he win doing this? And I, I know John uh, John Fox is thrilled. I mean, his, his sure, charge as a head coach yeah. is to win football games, and he's doing that, and he's doing it by running the, running the football and, and playing great defense, which is what, you know, 
defensive-minded football coaches like to be able to do. But uh, I still think one of the big hurdles will be, how does John Elway feel about all this? Right. And he and John Fox will do this together. Well, let's sure. look at let's make it more specific. Let's talk about their matchups coming up because I think they've got a chance to be a wild card team, or excuse me, to win the division. Yeah. That's the way they're going to get there. Obviously, we see San Diego struggling. We don't know what Oakland, although they continue to win. But even as a wild card team, let's look at their schedule this way. I've got their game this week at Minnesota. I've seen Minnesota play. I think certainly Denver with that good defense, Christian Ponder, who I like, right. might struggle against that defense. I know they're at home in the Dome, but uh, and that defense can be pretty stout. But I can see Denver winning that game. They then have Chicago. That's an interesting matchup mm-hmm. in playing Chicago. That Again, a good, solid defense. Chicago is not a team that builds an eight-man front a great deal. Right. And so if that's what you got to do to stop Tim Tebow, they may be in unfamiliar territory. New England, to me, that's the most interesting matchup. You talk about polar opposites. Yep. <laughs> Hall of Fame quarterback playing small ball, highly efficient with a very questionable defense, playing a Denver Bronco team that doesn't have a presence at quarterback, but playing – you talk about absolute polar opposites – I don't know, it could be an interesting game. And then at Buffalo, Kansas City. So I can easily see can, uh, 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 Denver. Denver getting into the playoffs. Let's talk about – we'll see how they play against New England. Let's talk about when they get to the playoffs and they have to play the Baltimore Ravens or the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, that would be a real test because those two teams are really physical defensive football teams, understand how to stop the run. That's what they have to do when they play each other. And uh, – and they will go after a guy like Tim Tebow. Not to say that that other teams don't as well. I, I'm interested, just like you are, to see what happens when they play New England. Uh, and I think that'll be real telling because we know that as as well as Denver's playing on defense, New England is still going to score points because they are just an outstanding offensive football team. It'll be interesting to see if Denver can keep up with them playing the style of football that they are playing. And if if New England does get up on them early, you know, how they react. And I'm not saying that New England will get up on them because I, you know, I, I'll tell you what, Denver sure is playing well defensively, but if they do, how they react. And I think you, you bring up a good point because I can see Denver being a playoff team. You know, I think they can be 9-7, and 10-6. and six. Heck, they could be 11-5, and five, shoot, the sure. way they're playing right now. But uh, it all kind of, ch- kind of changes in the playoffs, you know. It and, does, uh, and that goes to that next level yeah. and the matchups. I'll be interested to see what Bill Belichick, and we both know excellent mm-hmm. schemer of defenses, what he does as Romeo Cornell in Kansas yep. City. I want to see how they, now that they've got some legitimate film, they can see what the M.O. of Denver is. And that's part of it too now, catching up with this, because it has been new for defense to see. I want to see how they scheme up against Denver and see how they take on Tebow. Yeah, well, I would I would assume that uh, that teams are even going back and looking at old Florida film to try to see some things that maybe Denver will evolve into offensively. And uh, not that many people had success against Tim Tebow in college, but right. to see how people defended things. I wouldn't be surprised if Bill Belichick has talked to some college coaches already and maybe has some guys looking at film. You know, well, in, in fact, advance, because, you know, it's tough to put a whole new scheme in in a yeah. week to stop something that you don't see very often. But and if anybody would do it, it would be Bill it Belichick. Would, it would be Bill Belichick. Which is kind of good news, bad news. I always when you faced a defense that was doing something totally different. The first instinct is, oh, my God, what, we're not prepared for this. But the second reaction is they're not prepared. Either. They're not either. They're <laughs> yeah. doing something they're not comfortable right, with. So right. we'll see how that matches up. Well, let's st- let's let's talk out that division a little bit. Obviously, the team they're going to chase is the the, the Raiders. Yep. Uh, good solid win for them, obviously over the weekend. They're sitting here at seven and four. When you look at their schedule, 
They have a couple more games. They're at Green Bay. They play Detroit. Now, you know, at Miami, obviously, you got to figure that's going to match up well. At Kansas City could be kind of interesting. San Diego just seems done to me. They just seem emotionally done. But at Green Bay and a Detroit team that it needs to also win and and play on the road. Uh, I've got that Detroit-Oakland game. I'm going to be very interested to see uh, Oakland up close and personal and to see if this formula. They didn't run the ball as well on no. Sunday, which surprised me a little bit. No, but they won. And that uh, the next two weeks will be very telling because they've got to travel across the country to go to Miami. And then they've got to make a trip to Green Bay. And then, of course, they play Detroit at home, like you said, and then at Kansas City. So three of their next four games are on the road, although I think it's these next two that are that are really critical. And, uh, you know, they're, they're finding ways to win, Brian. You know, they kicked six field goals on Sunday to win. Uh, they've played better defense. You're right, they didn't run the ball as well as they have, but that doesn't mean they're not a capable running team. They are. I think the fact that Carson Palmer's uh, starting to feel more comfortable mm-hmm. in that offense bodes well for them. But to me, it's all about these next couple weeks here at Miami and at Green Bay. And and the physicality that they have, because that's the thing that jumps out at me when I watch the Raiders play. Um, the, they are a physical team. They're going to turn that thing into a brawl uh, with their defense. Uh, the penalties are a big f- part of it. The week before, the penalties were absolutely atrocious right. when they played Minnesota. You know you got to get that under control. Obviously, this last game, they reeled it back in a little bit. Uh, they only had the six penalties compared to what that – and they overcame it, obviously, mm-hmm. in, in Minnesota and beating Minnesota. Uh, but if they can find that discipline, all the elements you're talking about, I'm I'm becoming more and more a believer yeah. that the Raiders are for real. Well, if they if they don't shoot themselves in the foot right. by by having all those penalties, I mean, look how good they can be because they're winning and overcoming penalties. And so if they can you know not hurt themselves, then uh, then you know who knows what they can do. So it is first and ten, Patriots, and they will take a knee, and that will be it. That is it. And this is the worst Eagles loss of the season. They took a 10-0 lead, and then the rest basically was all New England. Well, let's, uh, let's go over a different conference here. Let's talk about the, the Philadelphia Eagles, which obviously with every loss now, it becomes more and more apparent that that uh, the dream team is done they're not going to make the playoffs and sitting here at four and seven it's hard for me to imagine that a nine and seven team even if they were to win out could make the playoffs the way the other teams are doing uh but even at that uh, their ability to win out it's going to be questionable all the things we've talked about Andy Reid I think we both agree that and we made this point a couple weeks ago whatever happens in Philadelphia let's again reiterate that decision will involve Andy Reid. I think it has to. I think he's earned that right. Uh, you know, it won't surprise me either way, quite frankly. It wouldn't surprise me if Andy uh, said, hey, I'm, I'm going to come back and the organization supported that. And it wouldn't surprise me if Andy said, you know what, I, I think I've had enough and maybe I need a rest. I think the, the big question is, uh, and, and you've brought this up many times, is Andy Reid's a great football coach. And, yeah, he's taking some criticism right now. And uh, he, he's manning up and accepting it. But like you said, you know, you're not going to necessarily get better than Andy Reid. You're going to get different, but you're not going to get better than Andy Reid. And I think it's really important that, that people understand that uh, that some of these things that are going on in Philadelphia that maybe give the appearance that Andy's losing control, such as Deshaun Jackson being benched for a game, or, you know, actually I guess you'd call it a suspension for a game, right. sat down, and then this past week, you know, getting benched into the fourth quarter, the, the coaches arguing on the sidelines, t- 
to to you and I, guys that have been in those situations, we don't think that that's a sign of him losing control. We actually think it maybe is a sign of him maintaining Absolutely. control. Absolutely. At least with regards to Deshaun Jackson. A coach with less control, less firm stature in the organization might have dealt with that differently. Because, I mean, you're putting a great player, a great asset on the bench mm-hmm. or off the field. You only do that when you know you have the the courage of your conviction of your position with ownership, with the organization. As you always say, and I always like your term, you've earned that right with the wins that they've had. Um, And I think his team, you know, even though there may be players on that team that agree with Deshaun Jackson, whether it's the contract or, you know, uh, really, did he really miss this much of the meetings, whatever, but they're still going to judge, Andy, are you in control? Are you going to do the right thing? Or are you going to kind of give in because the circumstance, are you going to try to kowtow to us, the players? He's holding on to that team because he's doing the right thing. They even had an incident with the assistant coaches, which people are making, (laughs) and you and I know, you know, when two assistants go at one another, that's almost a, a, a weekly. That happens everywhere in the national. It football happens league. whether you're up thirty to nothing or or down thirty to nothing. Whether you're zero and eleven or eleven or zero, there are conflicts that happen between coaches. You're first of all, you're in a high, highly charged emotional environment. You're talking about highly competitive individuals that are very strong in their convictions. And, you know, you're talking here about Marty Mornowig and, and Jim Washburn. Marty Mornowig being the offensive coordinator and Jim Washburn being the, the defensive line coach. And, you know, you and I can just imagine what happened. I'm going to be Jim Washburn Absolutely. here. Absolutely. And I'll be Marty Mornowig. And, 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 folks, this is exactly how it goes, don- uh, goes down. Okay. And so well, we're in the well, middle we'll of the game. We'll tone it down a little bit. Just a little a family bit. Show. Right. <laughs> but, but this is okay. We're in the middle of the game and, uh, and tough battle. The defense has been on the field for a while. And now I throw two or three passes. In now, a what row. the heck are you doing? We've been playing our butts off over here and you're throwing the freaking football. You're not using up any clock and you're putting us out there. What are you? Hey, I'm just Don't, trying. I'm just trying to move the hear ball. That. Run the football and keep us on the bench. You want off the field, get your defense to get them off the field. I'll tell you how you keep our defense off the field. Run the darn football. You do your job, I'll do my job. (laughs) Well, you're not doing your job. (laughs) And that's exactly how it goes And then they hug each other a few minutes later and they never capture that. Exactly right. But it's a highly charged environment and and these people are passionate that coach this this game and they're passionate guys that play the game and and it's not a clean environment. You know, it's not a sterile environment and uh, you know, you've got 70,000 people sitting on top of you and uh, those things happen all the time I mean they really do and, and if and they're you know what I'll sometimes even go they're step, healthy yeah it's exactly right I'm almost going to go the other way and say if we didn't have a little bit of that if I didn't have a little bit of that during the week yeah then I'm not sure I'm not as a coach going you know what I got to stir so I got to go after somebody because yeah. we've given up there's yeah. no one cares anymore I don't I, I mean I, some of the stuff that is said during a game amongst the coaches on those headphones oh, to each gosh. other, people would not even imagine. I mean, some of the most vile, rank, ridiculous, cutting statements you could ever hear if you could tap into those Very headphones. entertaining when you, very, when you can remove yourself and, and, from it. It's very yeah, entertaining. And, 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 and really humorous. You know, after the game, when you look at each other, you go, did we just say that to each other? You know, these are guys that spend 100 hours a week together at work, working towards a common goal, and sometimes it just bubbles over. And uh, I remember one time we were, we were. I'll just share a story. I was in Minnesota, and Chip Meyer, God rest his soul, one of the great oh, guys. He was, uh, if you don't get along with Chip Meyer, it's you. Right. Okay, one of the great guys in this. Mike Tice was our offense. And Mike and I was interesting. Mike and I had the kind of, we dog cussed each other on a regular basis. If we weren't swearing at no, one, another, one another in a meeting, then we weren't working. Well, Chip was always the great mediator. 
He was always saying, he was going to, oh, no, where's the love? Oh, we're good guys. We're good guys. And Mike and I were okay with that. Well, during the game, Chip, when he was up in the booth, he'd constantly go on, let's calm down, calm down, calm down. Because Mike and I would be going after each other. Well, why don't you run? No, no, I'm not going to run. God dang, you know, back and forth. But we, we, we handled it. And right. Chip was constantly saying, well, calm down, calm down. Finally, I had my fill. He says, calm down, calm down. I step out onto the field. I turn and I point up to the booth and I say, two people tell me to calm down. My wife, Kim, and Denny. I don't need to be told to be calmed down, okay? And, and, uh, but you that, actually stepped on I the actually field stepped, and looked and up the, and the, the, and the, uh, and the, the TV people are going, what's he pointing at? What's he, you yeah. know? And it was, but that's the kind of conversation that I think goes you on. got a commercial out of that one, I probably you? could have. Would have made a great one. Yeah. Would have made a great one. But yeah, the Eagles in a tough spot. I, yeah. Again, we, we've said it many, many times. You know, you if the organization has to make a decision to go forward in whatever way, uh, and I don't know, and, and I, I, I don't want to see Andy Reid lead. Me neither. Uh, I, like I said, he, you're not going to get better. You're going to get different. Right. But I don't know for Andy. Andy looks worn down. Well, you know, you and I both know Andy very well, and you're not going to find a finer man than, than Andy Reid. But, uh, it, it, boy, it, it takes its toll on you. It really does. It wears you out when you're – you're standing down on the field, and, you know, Andy says he didn't hear the, the chants that, you know, were reported yeah. to be said. You do. But you you, you do. do hear them, and you feel them, and, and every time you walk off the field and people are yelling at stuff at you, or you, you know, you happen to get a phone call from a, a really good buddy who tells you, you know, what they were saying on talk radio about you that Oh, there's morning, no getting away from you it. Don't Even if you, hear. yeah, hold it at arm's length, someone's yeah. going to come tell yeah, you. There's always those times, you know, you don't, I never listened to talk radio. I'm sure you never did either. And you really didn't want to hear that stuff. And your best buddy would call you and say, man, you can't believe what they're saying about you on the radio. You know, you know what I always like, found one of the hardest things to do was to not, you know, my thought was, I'm not going to take this home. I'm not yeah. going to talk about it at home. Yeah. But what I came to realize, and when my daughters got older and my wife, I came to realize is they would talk to me and could actually articulate it. That was actually harder on them because then all they hear is the other stuff. Right. If you're trying to protect them, I'm going to look, I'm not going to talk about it at home. I'm going to hold it at arm's length. And you think you're protecting them. And the only view they get is that dad's an idiot. And he's this, that, and the other, and then they hear it at school. They hear it out at the market. Then it's they feel like they're being shut out, and that adds a whole other dimension to yeah, it. Yeah, because they care about you. I, I don't know that people that haven't been in the position can fathom how difficult and how stressful it is to be the head coach of a team that's struggling. Heck, to be the head coach of a team that's that's having success is stressful, but just the emotions that are involved in it and uh, and – you know, trying to pull your team out of a funk and and keep your coaches up, keep your family up, like you just said. Uh, you know, it's not easy to walk out on the field in front of seventy thousand people that are all looking at you, pointing at you, and blaming you for the struggles of your team. Now, coaches are paid handsomely for it, and they all have the option of not doing it, and they choose to do it. But that doesn't mean it's not hard. No. And, and these are strong men. Andy's a very strong man. He accepts that. He handles it extremely well, in my opinion. He's very, very classy. And, you know, I hope he's coaching this league for a long, long time. I remember uh, I'll share a story, an emotional story that kind of underlines it. Anybody that has kids can appreciate this. Uh, we were in the playoffs, so we're doing well. Right. Okay. And we're playing the New York Giants. Well, we hadn't won a playoff game yet. We'd gone to the playoffs every year, first four or five years I'm in Minnesota, but we hadn't won a playoff game. And you know that is. Okay, well, you yeah. have success, but now they need to see the next thing. And the rumors were that if we didn't beat the Giants in the playoffs, we were gone. Right. And so it's a Friday night, and that's the one night you kind of get home a little earlier, and you actually can have dinner with your family. And, and uh, put my daughter, the youngest daughter at the time, I think was like six or seven years old. 
and you know at that age, and, and everything's real, and, and they hear it at school and around. Sure they do. So I'm putting my seven-year-old daughter to, de- to bed, and she looks up, and she says, Daddy, if we lose to the Giants— do I have to leave my friends? Do I have to move? Yeah. Well, I was that kid, Brian. Oh, you know, I oh mean, yeah, I, exactly. You know, I you. was that kid as a as a son, and I was also that kid as an assistant coach for my dad in New Orleans. When I first got to New Orleans, things were going well. Much like you know, my dad and Andy's situations were pretty similar. They, you know, New Orleans had never had a winning season before my dad got right. there. Had unprecedented won, success. Unprecedented after success that. up until you know recently, and uh, you know what Sean Payton's been able to do, but. Uh, you know, I, I remember walking into the Superdome and seeing my dad hung in effigy, you oh, know, gosh. a noose around his neck from yeah. the upper deck and listening to the, sometimes to the radio shows. And, uh, you know, I remember being that kid worrying about having to move. Yeah. And uh, it's it's not fun. But like I said, it's you, <laughs> we get paid handsomely for it. Right. Uh, we all choose to do it. And it's it's we understand it's part of the deal. But it, it certainly can be a strain, straining and stressful experience. Well, because clearly uh, what has to happen in Philadelphia going forward, part of the equation, if I'm Andy Reid, is to recognize that they got to they got to rebuild this thing. Yep. That this they went after the dream team and they had some acquisitions. You look at the success of the Green Bay Packers, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and those are the organizations now you got to look at because they're kind of the template that their commitment to the draft, building via the draft. Uh, if you're going to do that, you almost have to start over. And 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 do you want to do that? Because that's that's not going to happen overnight. So those are all part of the conversations that they're clearly going to have to have. All right, Matt Leinart is getting looked at by the athletic trainers and Dr. Walter Lowe coming over to uh, have a peek. Let's get out of the field and check it with Rich. Yeah, he went down a little awkwardly, Mark. Looked like he might have landed on the shoulder a little awkwardly, and uh, Dr. Lowe's taking a look at him. And so, indeed, T.J. Yates makes his way onto the field. Let's Let's move on to... Goodness gracious, the, the uh, Texans, oh. you know, how many body blows can you – you lose Mario Williams, you lose Andre Johnson for all that time, you lose your starting quarterback, fine, we can go forward, we're on top of the division, we got Matt Leiner, we've now lost our backup. And uh, Arian Foster missed a bunch of games yeah. earlier as well, but doesn't it tell you a, a lot about the, the character of this staff and this football team that they're sitting there at 8-3 and three with all that they've had to overcome? And I think that going forward – with a third-string quarterback, the fact that they've been able to overcome the early-season loss of their best running back. They've been e- able to overcome the loss of one of the best receivers in the league for a number of games, the the, uh, the loss of one of the best pass-rushing defensive linemen, you know, outside linebackers now in the league in Mario Williams, and then Matt Schaub and still win football games. You know, they're doing it by running the football. They're doing it by playing good defense. They're doing it by being sound on special teams, taking care of the football Uh They've got to be very confident going forward. Well, and people are going to keep asking. I've already gotten it with on a ton of uh, yeah. radio shows. Well, can you win with Yates? Well, right now I have to. So, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, what, what are my other options? Yeah, you don't have an option. And I think really what this does is it not that, that players need to be further motivated than they already are by just their competitive nature, but if you're a defensive player on this football team or you're an offensive lineman or a running back or a tight end or a wide receiver, you know, I think that the competitor in you relishes this challenge to say, you know what, we can win as a football team without our starter or our backup quarterback. I'm going to have to do a little bit more, and I'm going to have to play a little bit better, and I'm going to have to play a little bit harder. I'm going to have to study a little bit more. I think, you know, 
I've used the word galvanize before. I think this mm-hmm. kind of can galvanize a football team. And, you know, they went out yesterday, and, and Yates came in, and he played fine, and their defense showed up, and they ran the ball, and they got a win. And uh, it, it, I think this can really do a lot for this team's confidence. I guess the next question is, and, and we both know Greg Knapp. Greg yep. worked for you for a number of years. Yep. Um, clearly, they've got to bring somebody sure in just for depth. Even yeah. if you decide we're going to go with Yates, they got Kellen Clemens there, and obviously he's a backup in this league. Right. Um, let's look at some of the options out there because they got to bring somebody in, sure even do. if it's just as a backup. Yes, yeah, so they have to have someone ready to go in case Yates goes down. Yeah, because the way their season's going, that's like yeah, and they're going to go with Yates now, right? And, the, and and he's the guy they should go with. He understands the system. Um, Yates is a lot like Matt Schaub was when he was a rookie in terms of his demeanor, his presence, his maturity, his understanding of the game, and and that's saying a lot because Matt was an impressive rookie. We had him in Atlanta, uh, but. Brian, they have to have someone ready to go in case this guy falters or, you know, heaven forbid, he gets hurt. So, you know, we've seen the names thrown out there. A guy like Jeff Garcia. Right. You know, now Jeff's 41 years old. Um, Coach, you know, on a staff with Jeff for a long time. Have a great amount of respect for him because he's a great competitor. He's very, very smart. He could come in and he could learn that offense. Well, I think people automatically put Garcia with Greg Knapp. Uh, but this isn't Greg Knapp's offense. Right. You know, this is Gary Kubiak's offense. So there are some differences between what Jeff knew and what they're doing right now. Uh, Kellen Clemens is a name you hear. Uh, Sage Rosenfels right. is a name you hear. Mark Bolger is one that, that I look at that yeah. I think people need to understand, too, whether it is uh, a, a Mark Bolger who's had success in this league, Jeff Garcia. Right. You're not talking about, okay, let's bring in a guy that's going to salvage the season, no. win the Super Bowl, go out and throw it 45 times. You know the formula. Yep. We can run the ball well. Mm-hmm. We got Andre Johnson back. I need to, and maybe Yates can do this, but I need that guy who with those four or five throws, critical time in the game, mm-hmm. can get the ball to Andre Johnson, can get the ball to Owen Daniels. And knows when to throw it out of bounds too, right, Correct, Brian? and not make that mistake right. that can maybe on 25 or 30 throws in the game not make the big mistake and at those critical key times can come up with the big play, and now we've got a formula we can win. Yeah, with. you want a guy at this point, because you're playing good defense, because you're running the football, you know, and, and <laughs> here's that term, you want a guy – that can manage the right. game. Right. And uh, they, they'll be able to find one of those guys out there that can manage the game, and hopefully they don't have to get to him. You know, hopefully Yates comes in and does the job that they want. The other question I've heard is, you know, it, can they can they win out or can they win their division? Certainly. What happens when they get to right. the playoffs? Well, let's assume that they have a home playoff game. You know, I think they can win that home sure. playoff game because I think they're going to, first of all, it'll be the first playoff game in the history yeah, of the Yeah, let's don't discount that. This would be the first time yeah. the Texans and have the ever gotten the emotion in that stadium and the fact that they've got two really good runners and they've got a great wide receiver and they're playing fantastic defense and that energy that will be generated in that environment for that defense to attack the offense, whomever it is they're playing. Seattle last yeah, year certainly. with New Orleans coming yeah, into Seattle. Absolutely. I certainly think they can, they, can, they can win a playoff game. Now, I don't know how deep they can go into the playoffs without uh, you know, a, a veteran – quarterback that you can depend on but I certainly think they can win a playoff yeah we've seen I don't know that you can take a very good football team into Baltimore or Pittsburgh that's tough we saw that with San Francisco (laughs) with someone who can just manage the game now now you're going to separate the wheat from the chaff as they say exactly but that's what the playoffs about and that doesn't mean you haven't stepped up to the situation and it hasn't been great I mean I think the Texans are a great story this year 
just what they've been able to do, Brian, like you said, first of all, they're backed up against the wall because they know, that staff knows, hey, we need to get to the playoffs or we could be out of here. And they've overcome these injuries and here sitting at 8-3 and three after 11 weeks. I think they deserve a lot of credit. Rodgers back, sets, throws, end zone, got a man for through wide incomplete, looking for Donald Driver. Driver couldn't hang on. That'll bring up a fourth down, and after the play, a couple of Lions and Packers getting into it, and the flag comes in. Personal foul, unnecessary roughness. Defense number 90 for kicking. Number 90 is disqualified. And Indomitian Sue has been kicked out of the game. Sue did stomp down with his foot. You can't do that. Nope, and Indomitian has got to keep his poise. Uh, boy, let's let's move on to a couple things that happened over the weekend or actually beginning on Thursday in the in the uh, Thanksgiving games. Right. Begins with Indomitian and Sue, yep, uh, and all that went on there. Uh, the the obviously the mistake, and it's on so many levels in terms of the act itself. Mm-hmm. Trying to justify it immediately afterwards, right? Now trying to walk it back and saying, okay, I was wrong, and now the commissioner. It is it is been rumored that it's going to be a two game suspension. Uh, is that enough? Let's talk about that. Well, that's not for me to say. That's the commissioner's decision, and I don't know what his criteria is for making that decision. You know, I can only talk about what I saw on Thursday and, you know, what I know about Ndamukong Sue, which is, you know, I don't know him intimately. Uh, I haven't been around him in meetings. Uh, I do appreciate the way he plays the football game from snap to whistle. I love his passion. I love his intensity. I think he plays with a violence that uh, is necessary to play the position he plays. there's a lot of players that play that way, though, and can play snap to whistle that way and then shut it down for a few seconds and regather themselves. And I think what Nandamakan Sue obviously has to learn is that when that whistle blows, it's time to shut it down, you know, and he's got to turn it back up again. And when he's playing snap to whistle, he's got to play within the rules. And, you know, Brian, you and I were talking earlier, and, and the, the one thing that you never want to do is take the passion out of never. your players. And so... This is a really tough situation for a guy like Jim Schwartz because he's got a really delicate balance here between allowing a great player like Ndamukong Sue, who makes so many plays because of his passion and his intensity to play that way and yet still teaching him how to harness that. And let's keep in mind, this is a young man. This Very is, young. and this is actually this is a pretty intelligent guy. A lot very of people, well, he's a thug, and he's this. No, he's not defensive lineman. No, this is a very intelligent, articulate young man. He can, and he cares, and he does. There's yeah. a you know, young people make mistakes, yeah. and so y- you thought maybe there were enough mistakes along the way. He went up and talked with the commissioner. Yeah. You know that Jim Schwartz had something to do with that to try to create an environment for him to understand. Look, you don't want to cost yourself. You don't want to cost your team. And then the flare. That's the amazing thing about what happened on Thursday. Now, that's that's the bright yellow line now. Mm-hmm. Okay, we, we have drawn the line in the sand. Now, you're either going to walk back from that and recognize, because it's going to cost you now, two-game suspension and everything that goes, you're going to cost your team, and you've cost yourself in your pocketbook. You've cost your integrity and the way people look at you. You Okay, this is one of life's lessons. If If he can't walk it back from this, and in whatever fashion necessary, get it under control going forward, then then now you got a bigger problem. Well, you do. And when he starts to hurt his own team, as he has on a couple of occasions this year, then it becomes a real concern for the coach. Uh, 
you know, to play that position that he plays, Brian, oh, gosh. I mean, you've got to be nasty and you've got to be violent and you've got to be tough. That position demands it. But like I said, there's been a lot of great players that have played with that same violence, that same intensity, that same passion that Ndamukong Sue does that, that have learned how to, as you say, and I think it's a great term, walk it back at the necessary times without losing that passion. And that's a real delicate balance. And and as you said, he's very young, and he needs to learn this, but he needs to learn it quickly because right. he, he, if he doesn't, if he does get suspended, boy, I mean that really impacts that football team at a time in the season. Well, they're when they, trying to make the playoffs. When they need him. Yeah, I, I we've both had experiences with players like that. The one that comes to mind for me, I had Orlando Brown. Yep. And people remembered big offensive tackle. He's the one with the throwing of the flag by the official that hit him in the eye. And this this is a this guy played when you know his background coming out of South Washington, South Side of Washington. Washington. I mean, this is he had to fight for everything his, whole his life. entire life yeah. and trusted nobody. God rest his soul. We just recently lost Orlando Brown. But when we brought him back to Baltimore, he was at a stage in his career. He was in his mid thirties, mm-hmm. had a huge passion for the game. And I wanted that passion on the team. He had been there before and Ozzie Newsom was familiar with him. But I sat down with Orlando and I made it very clear. Look, I don't want to reel in your passion. That's why I'm bringing you here. But you and I have to come to an understanding that when and that time will come up. We knew it would whether it be in a game, in a practice. I need to know that you can, to use the term, walk it back. I need to know you can get it under control. Mm-hmm. I don't mind you going off, and I know there's going to be the passion. I know there's a little gamesmanship in this sometimes. Sure. But when I look in the eye, Orlando, I need to know that you can get it under control, or I can't have you on this football yeah. team. And and I give Orlando credit. He still played the game, and there were instances that came up. But when I when I did step in and could look in his eye, I saw a recognition, a maturity. I got a coach. This is one of those times. And he was able to walk it back. And that's where Ndamukong Sue needs to get. And I think that he will get there. You know, as you said, he's an intelligent guy. He cares about his teammates. He cares about his team. I think he cares about the National Football League. He cares about his image. And uh, he, he said he, but he needs to learn it. He needs to learn it quickly. Well, let's talk about somebody else that cost their team. And it's, it's boy, Steve Johnson and the celebration that he did and, and costing his team against the Jets and putting them on a short field. Right. And you see it all the time. Jim, That this is something that, boy, I struggle with as a coach. I just well, – he'd be the thing to keep me from getting back and coach. I don't know how you get to the players. How can you – how can you be that selfish? How well, can you yeah. not be more professional? You're right. It, it is a form of selfishness. It's about it, instead of look at us, it's look at me. And uh, there seems to be, you know, a little bit of an epidemic of that in in professional sports. And you see it sometimes filtering down into college and high school and youth sports as well, because those young kids they look at these guys on Sunday and their actions and their role models, you know, whether they're positive or negative. And I think. Maybe what's important here, Brian, is that the, the teammates step in because I think the peer pressure is is very important. It's probably more important than the pressure that comes from the coach because if you walk in that locker room and your teammates are, are looking at you like, hey, man, you're hurting us, okay, when you do those things, that's that's very powerful and that, that's biting and that hurts you uh, as the guy that's that <laughs> at the – at the, the point of emphasis. So, And where does that leadership come from on a Bills team that has not been in the playoffs this century? Right. They you know, I'm, have, I'm having, having yeah, fun I'm, with that, but they haven't. In the last yeah. 10 years, that becomes the question. It can't be just Yeah, the if coach. you look at the New England Patriots, easy to say. If Tom Brady walks right. up to you in the locker room says, and hey, we're not doing says, that. hey, we don't do that here, right. then you don't do that there. Uh, I, that's a very good question when you're in Buffalo. I don't know who in that locker room has that credibility. 
Uh, maybe it just has to be a collective effort of all those players saying, hey, listen, that's not who we're going to be. You know, we're, our coaches asked us not to be that way, and you know what? We're not going to be that way. What so. I always did with my teams when these situations came up, and unfortunately they did weekly, so it was easy to do. Sure. On our on our Wednesday morning meeting, occasionally I would I would throw the tape up or put it on a PowerPoint and say, guys, help me out here now. Tell me, tell me how to deal with this. Tell me, tell me this isn't the way we want to be. Right. You know, it's always great to use an example someplace else that doesn't hurt you. But tell me if this is okay. Tell me if you think this is okay because I need to understand. I want you to explain to me why actions. Because the thing that you know, Sue was one thing, but Stevie Johnson, what he did, that had to be preconceived. Oh, he didn't think just think that. of that at no, the moment. No, that was just that wasn't a spontaneous reaction. That, that was choreographed. He'd been thinking about that probably since uh, Tuesday. Yeah, you know, so he'd you probably practiced. He'd probably done it in practice. You, you got to tell me what possibly <laughs> led know. you to believe this was going to be acceptable. I, I don't know, but you know we've seen examples of that for years. You remember when when uh, Joe Horn hid the cell phone? Oh gosh, in the, you know, <laughs> and and you and giggle a little than, bit. I well, understand that. It, you know what it is? It's it's uh, it's entertaining. It's humorous, but uh, it's very frustrating if you are a fan of the team that it hurts, a player on the team that it hurts, or a coach of the team that it hurts. It's very very frustrating. And you know, Ocho Cinco, he was the master of those. I used to want to see him score just so I could see what he'd come up with, but that was as a fan. That wasn't as a coach on his team. Which brings up an interesting question. Is that passion that's been reeled in in New England now, because they don't do that in New England. No, they Is don't. that one of the reasons Ocho Cinco is not as productive because you've reeled that passion we talk about back enough to where can he not do one without the other? That's an interesting uh, question. That's a question for another topic. That's exactly another right. Day. Well, that's going to do it for the Coach's Show podcast presented by Bud Light. You can download the Coach's Show podcast from iTunes or go to NFL.com slash podcast. Also be sure to catch the Coach's Show on the NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening.